It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegels, Paul DeTito with you for the next 60 minutes as we are here to break down a Giants season opening victory over the Titans 21-20 in Nashville. The first time they've won their season openers since 2016 in Dallas is Randy Bullock's 47-yard field goal attempt went <clears throat> wide left and the Giants were able to hold on for the one-point victory. Multiple ways to interact with us here on the program, 201 that is option number one. Option two, hashtag Giants Chat. A reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So, guys, let's delve right into it. And clearly, to me, two things jump out. And, Jeff, you and I delved into a lot of this yesterday. It's the rushing attack, the ability to run the ball especially in the second half, but I want to read a few numbers that I was breaking down while I was looking a little bit closer into things. 12 runs for five or more yards, six runs for 10 or more yards, and that's key because the Titans allowed the fewest of this kind in the NFL Mm -hmm. last season, 31 total. Just two of the 32 runs yielded negative yardage, and they had nine runs in the red zone, all of which resulted in positive yardage. So it's not just Saquon Barkley his totals and how impressive he looked and the explosive runs, it's overall, Jeff, their ability to get the tough yardage, grind it out, eat into the red zone, execute, and then most importantly, finish, which had been an area of issue for the last few seasons. A hat on a hat, right? I mean, you line up, you have uh, any, any of the positions along that offensive line, you have your assignment, and they obviously switch once in a while because the front's kind of, they try to lull you to sleep with one and then they move. But that that is a nice job. And I think we all know that it's a lot easier to run block than it is to pass block in the National Football League. And, and if you had five offensive linemen sitting here asking you which one you want to do, they, they're going to say, I'll run block all day. Right. So but, you know, this is part of execution. This is part of practice. This is part of doing things the right way. And I think uh, kudos to Bobby Johnson for, you know, really kind of putting this group together and getting them to be on the same page and you know, going through the game plan. But we talked about this, Lance, all of us on this show, the ability for any team in the National Football League to be able to run the football. And this is going to be something that the Giants are going to build upon. Um, Saquon, obviously, is not going to have close to 200 yards rushing a game. But the fact is, is that if you can be successful and both in the red zone and in the regular field at the running game, it's going to open up a lot of passing stuff for you too. So I think Daniel Jones will eventually you know, he'll be comfortable with play action because of this running game. And Saquon, he took it. He took this team and put it on his shoulders yesterday and said, you know what, we're going to win this game. And it was sure nice to have the Giants 1-0 rather than 0-1 again because you know when everybody starts talking, well, the chances of people making a playoffs when you start 0-1, they, that's what they're doing. <laughs> they started, like sure. you said, it's like, oh my gosh. You know, the people are all, uh, now we're, the Giants are 1-0 and now people are probably saying, what if they're going to be a home playoff game? <laughs> oh boy. Well, perspective but, is important. Yeah, exactly. Long yes. ways to go, but back to your point, Lance, I think that the running game certainly was a lot better than the passing game because they had problems with uh with containing Mr. Simmons in the inside. He was a 
he was a man. I'll tell you what, that guy is a heck of a football player. Yeah, an outstanding player. Quite the presence. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he filled up the stat sheet with six tackles, two sacks, two for loss, and two quarterback right. hits. But they were still able, despite that, to at least bounce back effectively in the second half. And, Jeff, to your point, the Chris Myrick touchdown was set up as a result of the Titans mm-hmm. having to respect the Giants' run game. But the other side of the equation, Paul, is explosive plays. And that was also yeah. something that was not necessarily front and center over the last few seasons. Each of the three touchdowns that the Giants had had a play for 33 more yards, and that, to me, was also a huge difference maker. Obviously, the bomb to Sterling Shepard, but this goes right back in a boomerang to what you just talked about with the running game just a second ago. And it refers to the three points that I really just badly wanted to make here this morning. I know we've got to get to a lot of phone calls because fans are just itching at the... Uh, the. Uh, well, we still have time to go through the layers of the game. Well, no anyway, <laughs> but 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 here's, here's where it comes down to. Barkley playing like a rookie again, only now with more experience and even more fire in his belly. And he showed it yesterday because that was the rookie Saquon Barkley, who burst onto the scene Mm -hmm. and really, you know, ran havoc through defenses in this league. That's number one. The the grit and determination that he ran with. Uh, I I need, I need to stress, folks, on the final game-winning drive of this game. Barkley gutted out a number of very short runs where people keep saying, oh, he's all or nothing. Yeah, he had two huge runs. But look at the final drive. A, uh, the Giants had nine runs on the winning drive of 12 plays and 73 yards. And Barkley had a handful of them that were for seven yards or less, where they were dirty yards, including the two-point conversion, where he plowed ahead and got the gritty yardage. Nothing spectacular, just fought and fought and fought. I think that is Awesome. I think it's awesome that that uh, um, Dable and Kafka, for all of their fanciness that we know about them and their passing game schematics, they knew, they knew that you had to run the ball, especially in this game, if you were going to come back and win it. And so they ran it nine times on a 12-play, 73-yard drive. They told that offensive line, it's time to get down and dirty. Let's slug the big, bad, heavyweight Tyson-like Titans in the mouth. And they played old-school football. Because football 101, old-school still wins. And that's what the Giants did on that final drive. Now, to your point, Lance, how about this? Two of the explosive plays, and in fact, I even went a little bit further. Joshua Izudu, rookie left guard. Do you know, and I, and I went back and I checked the film on this this morning because I, I didn't see it all from, from being on the sideline yesterday. His 68-yard run by Barkley, the five-yard touchdown run, the 33-yard dash, and the two-point conversion, four of the biggest plays in the game. Azudu had a key block on all four <laughs> plays. Rookie Joshua Azudu, get it straight, folks, NFL debut. He made four incredibly important blocks on four of the most important plays of the game. 
And remember, they were rotating the left guard spot early in the game with Bredesen and him flip-flopping. So that's tough, too, for a young guy when you're in and out of the lineup. You're not necessarily on for every single possession, every single drive. So he bounced back very nicely. Listen, it was a tale of two halves overall for the team. No doubt. It's not just the Zudu. I mean, everybody had a very sluggish first two quarters. They were shut out 13 nothing. You had penalties, the inability to finish drives, and little by little— they got their feedback underneath them, and they were able to grind it out. Because to me, a big turning point in this game, and Jeff, I brought this up to you yesterday, and this piggybacks off of Paul's point about the ability to run the football. They set themselves up to even have the luxury to run by forcing a pair of three and outs to begin the second half. The yeah, Titans had the ball. It was huge. Head. Yeah, they went yeah. three and out, seven yards, two minutes, 15 seconds, then... Barkley had the 68-yard run. They finished it with a touchdown. And then another three and out, which was three plays, eight yards for a minute 48. The point is, it could have got out of hand very quickly at 13-0. Tennessee opens the second mm -hmm. half, a lengthy mm -hmm. drive, milks clock. Even if they tack on a field goal, 16-0, time is ticking. You don't have the ability to put together a 12-play monster drive that eats up a lot of clock. So the defense getting those three and outs, and granted, listen, Tennessee, I thought, got a little too cute with Derrick Henry on the direct snap and then the rookie tight end on the end around. But, hey, you take the opportunities, you take the gifts, you got to capitalize, and the Giants deserve credit. They did. But that, to me, was key, Jeff, in keeping them in a game and allowing them to run. Well, I mean, listen, the defense stepped up. Right. And um, I don't you know, we can all second guess the calls. And I think they were horrible. I mean, just give the ball to your six foot four, 250 yard back, 250 pound back and to have them get one yard. These offensive coordinators, they totally out. They 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 out coached themselves. They were like, come on. What are you going to do that? I mean, so that that was to their advantage. Rabel and his staff undressed Rabel and his staff yesterday. Yeah, that's good. It's they good. did. And, and, I, and Lance and I talked about this. And I, I was mentioning it to him that my confidence in this staff, and as this is not a knock on the other one, I'm just telling you that this staff who I've gotten to know over the last the summer pretty well and just trying to talk to a lot of I have more faith in this staff doing the adjustments at halftime. And by the way, that's 12 minutes now. It's not, a, it's not a team meeting. You're not sitting in there an hour making these things. It's slight little adjustments. And by the way, those adjustments are make, being made as the game goes. But and when you get a chance to get all the guys together – inside you can make some adjustments i thought this is a tale of two halves well you know what happens the giants went in made some adjustments to your point paul and basically out coached that other coaching staff on the other side uh when we get a chance i want to do i want to talk about special teams today at a certain point in this conversation because there were some big plays and there were some things to be concerned about and there was also some things to be excited about on the special teams part of it so when we get a chance we'll go there too final Certainly. thought about the yep. rush defense jihad ward oh my god well, oh my God! Listen, I mean, they went big, right? Yeah. We talked about that. Mm -hmm. I kept saying, guys, Martindale's got to go big. He needs more beef and more power on that front line. All right, so they stuck Ward and his big fat butt right up on that front line and said, "You worry about setting that edge." Now he didn't get pass rush. Well, that's but, what he but wasn't going to. He but, was there to stop the run. That's what he does. Yeah. And man, there was one body slam on Henry. <laughs> that was sweet. Yeah. I mean, I think Vince McMahon's going to be putting in a phone call. He just put him right. <laughs> he's very the physical turf. player. Very physical player. Um, he's he hustles. He's pretty quick for a big guy. I mean, what is he? Two hundred and he's close to two eighty, right? Two eighty-five. Two eighty-five. Uh, and and, th and this is this is what Martin Dale's going to do, though, folks. Okay, 
Martindale is going to match up mm-hmm. his schemes and his 11 against the other team's 11. Knowing he didn't have his two-edge pass rushers against a team that's a heavy run offense, he said, you know what? We're just going to make sure that we got four or five guys up on the line almost every time, and Ward's going to be one of them. And and it was really – it made so much sense. I don't know if you guys noticed this in the fourth quarter or not, but um, McKinney lined up on the line of scrimmage three times in a row and blitzed three, three plays in a row. Three plays in a row – he was splitting on the outside, and he yeah. close to every single time almost got to the quarterback. They 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 will need to get more pressure. Yeah, against... well, they will get their more pressure when they get their two guys back. Right, <laughs> right, and that and that was one of the things about you know talk about negatives yesterday. They didn't get enough pass rush on Tannehill, but again, that wasn't the design. The design was to be stout against the run, mm-hmm. throw enough of blitzes at the Titans to keep them honest. Just enough to show them a bunch of stuff that would make them a little itchy and edgy. And, um, you know, when the pass rushers are back in the lineup now, just think, just think of the different styles of defense that Martindale's going to be able to play when he's got his full complement of players. Well, I like, and I'll let you go to the second last, you know, Derrick Henry, a premier running back in this league. We know that, okay? The Giants hold him to 82 yards with a long of 18. I mean, they did a one run more than seven the entire day. That's it. And he ran for one first down. Right. That's it. Yep. They did a nice job containing him. And because he's a guy that can go crazy, uh, you know, 21 rushes for 82 yards. I mean, I'll, I'll take that out of Derrick Henry any day. I mean, I, I, to sure. stop him, you know what I'm saying? Because he, he can be, a, he can be a, a, a game wrecker. He really can. And by the way, back to your point, Lance, when, when the Giants stopped on those two third downs, when you have a running back like Derrick Henry, you can eat clock. And you can eat clock a lot, making first oh, yeah. downs and first downs. And so, you know, kudos to the Giants' defense for, for holding up on those two plays and being able to get the ball back for their offense. Well, and if you look at time of possession, it was just about a three-minute difference, even really less than that. So that's a big reason why I don't think the gap was wide in favor of Tennessee because in the second half, they weren't able to have those lengthy drives where they were able to get Henry to dictate the tone. He didn't damage the game, I think, is the best way that I would describe it. I would argue I think Dontrell Hilliard hurt the Giants much more so than Derrick Henry did because Hilliard is a receiver who obviously had two touchdowns. He was far more of a killer in terms of the matchup (laughs) with some of the linebackers out in open space. You just isolated the biggest Achilles heel that we coverage. saw yesterday. Yeah. The Giants linebacker coverage. Well, they went after it. Crowder had a bust where he hesitated and looked inside and let the running back go free and clear mm-hmm. for a touchdown, Hilliard. And obviously, Calitro got beat on a seam. It's mm-hmm. just that simple. He just got beat on a seam into the end zone. The linebacker coverage of running backs coming out of the backfield for a team that uses that heavily in their attack is going to be something the Giants must adjust to somehow. Yeah, they exposed they exposed that. That was the, that was their their game plan is to go after those linebackers, and they did. And you got uh, Christian McCaffrey out in coverage this coming week, just to give you a heads up. Yeah. <laughs> well, might you see an extra DB in the game? No, you could absolutely yeah. because yeah. once again, Wink's going to mix and match based on the teams. But I'm just saying. McCaffrey very different than Hilliard and Henry, I would argue, in terms of what maybe, he brings Maybe to the Tony Jefferson, who came up to the, from sure. the practice squad yeah. this weekend. Maybe he winds up getting more snaps this week instead of one of the backers. You know, looking at the, the team stats from the game yesterday, kind of breaking them down a little bit, both teams were not very good on third down. I mean, the Giants awful. were only two for ten. 
and the Giants held the Titans to three of 11. Um, you know, and so you talk about extending drives and things like that on third downs. Neither of this team did a very good job. Um, obviously, the Giants were 0 for 1 on fourth down. Um, what anything else? And Jeff, by the way, the, I don't mean to cut you off. The yeah, downs okay. and distances were not overwhelming. That's the crazy part. Yeah. They were seven downs for seven yards or less out of the 10. That means they only faced three third downs for 10 yards or more. Manageable downs. I think what helped them overcome the issues on third down was going back to those explosive plays yeah. because they didn't need to dink and dunk when you have a 68-yard run, a 33-yard run, and then, of course, the 65-yard touchdown to Shepard. It covers up some of the issues, to your point, that were exposed a bit on third down and the inefficiency there. Yeah, penalties are another one. And, and you know, penalties are, you can, like, the Giants had eight penalties for 45 yards. You're like, well, 45 yards, eight penalties. But it's when they, like, and we talk about this all the time. We've talked about this to the cows come home. It's not a matter of how many or how much yards they are. It's when they occur, right? Yep. And so, you know, you look at a couple of these on the Giants. There was, you know, Calitro had a holding call in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, so really Darnay two, Holmes Darnay had another, Holmes holding, had another call. holding. So those yep. were two big Eight penalties. penalties in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Including by the way, illegal formation on the last kickoff, Jeff, I, yeah. come well, on. I, listen, I, I, the, the, the theory behind this, and I, this could change from each coaching staff, but Tom always used to say three on offense, three on defense and one on special teams. That's seven a game, right? That's what, that's what is kind of the, the norm. It's tough to go a game without penalties. You know that. Right. It happens. They, they, somehow the, the Patriots always have penal, no penalties in a game. Go figure. <laughs> um, but, but my point is, is that, you know, eight, and it's when they come. It's not a matter of how many. It's, it's how detrimental. Well, it's Lance always says. Yeah, yep. exactly. So, and I think the two of the eight came at pretty big junctures in the game in the fourth quarter. On that last drive. Yeah. So, you know, and then, uh, you know, I. We look at how many times we've sat in this big blue room with looking at each other going, how did the Giants, they lost on a 62-yard field goal. They lost on a 63-yard field goal. Well, they won on a missed 47-yard field goal yesterday. The law and, of average. Uh, the law of averages get there. And, and I don't know, Paul, Lance and I were talking about this yesterday. I don't know why teams put that much. I mean, 47 yards for an NFL kicker is not that big of a deal these days, but give the guy five more yards. You know, that kick is five yards short, closer. That's good. Yeah. You know, but they, they, they took that little run to the right hash and get down and they had a timeout left. They could have easily tried to get a little bit more yards there. I don't care that they didn't, you know, but that would have been a wise game plan. It's funny, Jeff, Ryan Tannehill. I was listening to the opposing pressers. I always uh -huh. like to hear the opposite team. He was specifically asked by a member of the media. Oh, wow. What was the rationale in just sort of giving up? And I'm paraphrasing yeah. the point yeah. and just trying to get it centered as opposed to, to your point, fighting for extra yardage. Tannehill's response was, and I'm not saying that this is creating friction in Tennessee, but he says, you're going to have to ask Vrabel about that. So oh, he said, okay. No, all he basically said, no, he was insinuating that the direction Tannehill received from the sideline was, we're prioritizing centering the ball. We're not prioritizing Getting picking up yards. some additional yardage. And listen, sometimes it works out great. Sometimes it doesn't, which is another reason not to get off topic. But one of the things I want to address before we open up the lines is, the two-point conversion, Brian Dable mentioned, he spoke to his team, they want to be aggressive, it worked out, it was fine. But here's the thing, guys, you still need your defense to get out on the field, whether you make the two-point conversion or not. <laughs> we heard and that I from think that guy, yeah. <laughs> that gets lost in this conversation. Mm -hmm. 
they still need to make stops because even if you're talking about the pros and cons of going to overtime, if Tennessee, even in a tie game, gets into field goal range like they did and Bullock connects, there is no overtime. The game is over. <laughs> so we can't excuse the defense as part of this equation regardless of the aggressive school of thought in going for two. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like I, – I think that this – and this is this is something that the Giants are going to be all season. I, I just feel like even if you coming into this game, you knew that Coach Dable is going to be aggressive. That's just the way he is. That's mm -hmm. the way he plays the game. Sure. And so immediately when they scored that touchdown, I, in my mind, I'm thinking they're gonna, they're probably going to go for two here. Why not? What do you got to lose this year? You have nothing to lose this year. And obviously, you play these games to win. But when you are handcuffed as far as – salary cap and players and things like that you can't expect to win as a fan you got to have a little bit of you know as a player you're going in there playing trying to win every game no question but i feel like that was such a huge step and i mentioned this to i mentioned this to to lance yesterday that and paul you've been around this a long time that what he did yesterday that aggressiveness on that two-point conversion and even if they did not make it, galvanize the team. It, it that was the final piece that put it on the stamp on it for the preseason, if you will. Even though that's a regular season, it all came together on that play. And and man, I don't know if any of you guys go and look at the the video of Coach Dable in the locker room afterwards. Uh, that is epic, and that just Dancing. goes to show yeah. you how much these these players like this coach. You see, he, here's what happens by by going for that play. If the Giants fail, at least Dable has sent a message to the team that I believe in you and that I trust you. Now, if they don't convert, that's on them for not executing. Right. It's not on the coach okay? for going. It's for not it. on the coach. Yeah. It's on the players for not executing. And now it means the next time he needs to make a decision, he's going to second guess himself because the players have not earned his trust to execute right. his wishes. Okay. But. There is no negative to the coach by going for the two-point conversion because that's on the players, not on him. If they make it, now not only do the players feel great that they've made the two-point conversion and taken the lead, but now they have justified the coach's faith in them. So now not only do they know that he trusts them, it goes vice versa. They can trust him because it's working both ways. Yeah. It's working both ways. I also believe that the team trusts the play that they're going to run. They they have that play. They've run that play. They have confidence that that play can work. And if you go and look at some of the other teams around the league that run that play. Didn't that smell of the <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs? Well, it was the Kansas City Chiefs. They Hello, stole that Mike play. Kafka. Yeah. Thank yep. you very much. Yeah, they ran that to Tyreek. Yeah, it's it's been it's there a before. Shuffle pass, a yes. little shuffle pass, and been a big part of their identity. Hundred percent. So who cares? It's, you know, the identity now is here. So they're going to run hey, it. The but Giants I, players need to execute it. It doesn't matter about the exactly. Chiefs at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah, and I, and it's a, the way it's drawn up, and the way that and remember the Giants have been only running that play at, at this practice for during the offseason and training camp. Mike Kafka has seen that play run. Hundreds of times. Yes, he right? has. So he understands yes, he the has. ins and outs of that play. And obviously they had enough confidence to, to run it. So.
Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegels, Paul DeTito with you here. Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Recapping the week one win for the Giants over the Titans. 21-20. We're going to open up the phone lines. First, though, a few reminders. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925. Or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience. Watch Watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. 201-939-4513. Scott is in New Mexico, and he joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Scott? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Doing all right. Uh, obviously a tremendous win for the Giants, but... I agree with pretty much everything you said, but there's one thing that you didn't uh, mention. And football is more than just a game of X's and O's. It's a game of emotion. And in regards to that two-point conversion, he had to do it. And here's the reason why. If he misses, it makes no difference anyways, uh, because more than likely they're going to lose. Uh, you said that, by the way. Right, you did. And then <laughs> if... I don't think you can negate the fact that if he goes for two points, makes it, and then they assume they go down the field and get the field goal range, it does put a little bit more pressure on the kicker, knowing if the kicker misses when the game is tied, nothing happens pretty much except you go into overtime. But if you know that your kick now depends on uh, whether you win or lose, that does put some pressure on the kicker. And they're supposed to make it anyways, I realize, from 47 yards. But that does put a little extra pressure on. So I think he had to do it no matter what. Uh, And I think it was a brilliant move to do for that two-point conversion. The other thing that I wanted to address, I thought the offensive line in the beginning was lost. And I thought in the second half, for some reason or another, it sort of gelled a little bit more. Paul, you sort of addressed it with Azudu. And all the runs that Saquon Barkley normally would run right or left, he was going up the middle. And that's the one thing that they didn't have last year. They couldn't go up the middle. And for some reason, all his runs seemed to be going in that direction. Glowinski, Feliciano, Azudu all showed mobility, all showed the ability to pull, all showed the ability to get out in front of the running back. And to Barkley's credit, he ran right behind him. He trusted them. Right. He saw the lane, and he took off and attacked. And that was the most impressive thing to me that they were able to do. And I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the offense not, not necessarily has to run through Daniel Jones. I thought it had to run through Saquon Barkley. And Daniel Jones had to just manage the game well until he got a little bit more proficient. Uh, one of the plays, obviously, after they uh, got the punt back on the 10-yard line, he throws the interception when he went back to the sideline uh, in the press conference, um, Dable said that he was basically chewing out the coaches because it was supposed to be a, a back shoulder play. And looking at the at the game itself, he was chewing. There's no way anyone's going to tell me he wasn't chewing out Daniel Jones. Uh, and he was chewing him out rather uh, effectively, I think. And Good. if you notice after that, <laughs> Daniel Jones changed a little bit, and he did some of the things that I said they were going to do, which is he started to run the ball, control, you know, uh, running plays designed for him, which I think was important, and also he seemed to just 
get a handle and started playing the game a lot better. And I think he needed that. So when Brian Dable said he was chewing out the coaches, I don't believe it for a second. I think he was chewing out Daniel Jones, and he had to be chewed out because, again, he had screwed up um, royally in that play. So I want to get your perspective, though, on the offensive line, and I'll take it off the air. The offensive line in the beginning looked terrible. Uh, Neil didn't look very good. Uh, they kept bringing in Bredesen, as you mentioned, and Azudu. Uh, I didn't think uh, uh, Feliciano played particularly well, especially on pass offense. But in the second half, something seemed to gel. And I know the running, the running plays obviously uh, heightened that, but also the pass play to Sterling uh, Shepard. Uh, he was wide open on a mistake that the Tennessee Titans uh, corner made. Well, Fulton made. spun around. I mean, that's essentially what happened right. on the play. So when he spun right. around, Shepard ran right by him. Right. But did you notice uh, that the offensive line itself, and also uh, before I get to that, I noticed that you, uh, Ty Crowder, you were sort of blaming him for some of the pass coverage, but he was really good on the run, I thought, and also was Tamar Fox in a very limited role. Uh, I thought he played very well, and I hope he'll get some extra time. But the offensive line is the key, as we talked about last week. So did you see the improvement that you want to see from uh, at least in the second half? Did they seem to gel both offensively in regards to the run and the pass? And I'll be glad to take your answers off the air, guys. Thanks All right, Scott. Appreciate the phone call. Well, I mean, I think, number one, Azudu getting more and more comfortable staying in the game, I think, helped immensely. You were talking about the pulling action, Paul. I mean, once again, you need to be on the same page with your fellow offensive linemen. When you go in and out of the lineup, it's hard to build chemistry that way, especially when it's your first NFL regular season game. So it's understandable that's going to take time. That's number one. Number two, what I wanted to piggyback off of is the point about Daniel Jones changing his mindset. In fairness, guys, after he threw the interception, on that 12-play drive, Paul, as you referenced, they ran the ball nine times on the 12-play drive. So, I mean, Daniel didn't really throw the ball much of anything on that last possession. I don't know how much there is to evaluate in terms of his bouncing back with respect to his mindset. And Daniel actually spoke to the media after the game, and I thought Daniel Jones, when he was asked about what he talked to Brian Dable about, he said he was talking to him about what he saw in the play and why he made that throw. So Daniel was even up front and saying, I had a conversation with Brian Dable after the interception, and we were discussing what I saw and clearly what I can learn from that. So I don't know if Dable did specifically say that he was chewing out the coaching staff, but I remember Daniel Jones specifically admitting that he had a conversation with Dable after the interception on the sideline. Jones did admit that. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, uh, you guys know I played this a long time. If, if, if your coaches never chewed you out before, there's something wrong because this is what they have to do. These are, these are, I mean, these are grown part men. Of the job. Yes. It's part of the job. It's, you know, it's right there. This sure. is what's going to happen. If you don't do the, what you're supposed to, you're going to get your butt reamed. Okay. You're going to be like, Oh, you're going to get yelled at. You're going to be, you know, and that's what happens. And, and you have to, because if nobody says anything or you want to work through the, the solution, right? What'd you see? I saw this. This is what I saw. And by the way, we all know that Daniel Jones has been working on the back shoulder throw all, all offseason. Okay. And it's something you have to, you really, we have to work on it. But the problem I had with that throw, there was two things. Number one was the throw itself. And number two was Daniel Jones. He had Saquon in his, the whole time was going to Saquon there, you know? And so he looked uh, at Bellinger first. 
but they were in the same he, proximity at the same they time. They were on the right? left side. And he so, looked at him first, and then, yeah. he, then he looked out to the boundary. And I don't know why he decided that he had to go back shoulder throw on that. That, that, that to me, is where he went awry. I, I think, and it's easy for us to be Monday, Monday morning quarterbacks here, but the situational football there is it's third down and seven. Okay, it wasn't no, it's third and seven on the at the eight yard line. Yeah, get the yep. field goal, get the points. You got you're going to have to need them, right? You're gonna need point. Don't turn the ball over in that. This, I was yeah. standing next to the end zone right there. It yeah. happened all in front of yeah. me. I'm thinking, Daniel, throw it, throw it to me you. and take yeah. the three. Throw it to me you think and you take caught the three. It? You think you would have caught it? <laughs> yeah, that's the million dollar question. Would you have caught it? That's <laughs> no, because my, my my hands are full of my notes. I well, would you have it. dropped the notes and reacted on the spot? No, my notes are too valuable. <laughs> More valuable than the football? More valuable than the ball? Yeah, wow. I'm, out of, bound. I'm out of bounds. It's incomplete yeah, but if it's I can't. But, it's, but it's still, but it's, we're judging you, yeah, though. Judging the heck you with the on, game. We're like, judging your Forget about the notes. We're going to yes. talk about you like not, not catching the football. It's, it's not about the oh. rule book here, Paul. Okay. It's about your reactionary skills on the sideline. What there happens you if you're yeah. running on the sideline, you're not paying attention, and somebody throws the ball in your direction? We want you to be alert under the circumstances. I appreciate your thoughts for my safety. Listen, can we before we move on, here can i just just touch on special teams real sure. quickly okay because and, and you know richie james he he we know he's a, he, he could return kicks right and that's why he was active and yeah. slayton wasn't that's right and we and we talked about that on the pregame when inactives came out okay and that's going to be a that is by the way that's that's going to be probably a reoccurring thing not just because of the you know the personnel and matchups and things like this but the fact is, is that he had two 17 yard returns okay and for those people that don't know about punt returns the goal is two things. Number one, get a first down. That's a 10-yard return. And give the ball back to the offense. Those are the two important things you want to do. Two 17-yard returns, and then he had another 22-yard return. Mm-hmm. Okay? And those were the highlights. Uh, again, with the punt, the, the muff punt recovery, that was a huge, huge play in the By game. By Pinnock. Uh, yes. Yep. Another new guy, right? Um, then the, the downside of it was the big 46-yard punt return that they gave up. Um Breeder got caught inside. Yeah. And yet many missed tackles on that play too, by the way. Three. Yeah. Ball went in the wrong place. That's what happened. The whole team was going right and the ball was kicked left. I'm just go back and look at it. Okay. See, punter's eye. (laughs) So I'm just telling you. So in here, that that is a that is a no no for any punter that tells the team I'm going right and you rip it left. Because mm-hmm. as you're running down, you think the ball's going right, and you're looking for the returner, and the returner's going over there. There's two things mm-hmm. you're thinking. Heck, this is a heck of a bluff. Okay. Okay, because I'm trusting that the punter's going to go. And then all of a sudden, you see him running hard, and then you look up, and there you see the ball going over. You have to readjust your lanes. Okay. And the whole lane integrity gets thrown <clears throat> off. And that's mm-hmm. why you had that punt like that. That's how guys, guys get out of position. Yeah, and yep. so, um, and by the way, that was that was on the first punt of the game. They recovered though after that. Yes, they did. Yeah. Please, please tell me you enjoyed Nick McLeod. Oh yeah. In fact, I I told I told Lance with without embarrassing myself that you know all these new guys that came in last week, you kind of don't know much about them. And next thing I know, I got this forty-four McLeod guy running down. And I said to Lance, I'm like, wait a second, what? I don't have this guy on my roster. Where did this guy come from? What does he do? <laughs> they they brought him down from Buffalo. Yeah, no, right? Picked him up on yeah. waivers August thirty-first. Yeah. He makes two special teams tackles and forces a fair catch when he was right in the guy's windshield. Yeah. Well, that's 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 that goes to show you. I that. think he's he's going to be one of the gunners this year. I think we found one. Well, I think at the very end of training camp, this is usually what happens, right? You get those back-end players that are special team guys, and 
and obviously you plucked one away from from Buffalo. Uh, Breed is another one that was up in Buffalo that can play special teams. And, and guys, I've told you, whenever you want to know who you think is going to make this team in the last couple weeks of preseason, look at the punt team. I'm telling you, that's who your guys are. It's a give, dead giveaway. I'll say it again next year. And if you're a lady. Except, except McLeod got here after <laughs> well, the final preseason then, game. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Lance, yeah. like, it wouldn't yeah. have worked. Well, no, but the late additions to the <laughs> roster – to emphasize Jeff's point, if you're added to the roster this late, you're you better be able to contribute on special teams. That's what you're here because for. Because you're exactly, you're not going to be able to all of a sudden come in week one and do something of note on offense and defense. So it's no coincidence that McLeod and Pinnock, who both were late additions to the roster as they were finalizing the 53, play on special teams yeah. and make the most of those opportunities. And by that the way, to me is not talk about making the most of your opportunities. Is it Pinnock? Is that how you say yes, his name? Yes, Pinnock, correct. Jets scrimmage game. That's where these. That's where the Giants saw this guy. That's how he came. He got well, here. Well, I think the Buffalo people knew but about him last year too. But my point is that that reinforced a little sure. bit of you know. So talk about a player making making the best of his ability and trying to do something. That there you go. How shocked were you that Kreider had that bad snap? Well, I talked to him about that this morning, and he he said that you know, um, it's just it was a bad play, bad play. Wow, you know. Um, he's he's been so good. It happened. Uh, you know, he told me that. You know, it's just I gotta, and I wanna I wanna know that. Here's the thing about here's the thing about specialists, and I'm gonna throw the snapper in there because he's a specialist, right? He's that's what he does. Sure. Yeah. There's a mental capacity at every one of these positions, punter, kicker, and snapper, that you have to be able to overcome when something like that happens. It's not easy, okay? And Casey's a veteran. He's been there before. And I asked him, I said, so what was your mental state of mind when that happens? Because I've been there. I've dropped a snap on punts. I've dropped a snap on field goals. It's not easy to get that out of your head. And I said, what did you do? He says, you know what? I just said, I chalked it up as I've had hundreds and hundreds of good ones. You're going to once in a while have a bad one, right? And it's the truth. Unfortunately, it happened in a game. Sometimes it happens in practice. That those are the good ones. <laughs> those don't really count. But, uh, you like those, <laughs> yeah. But he told me he says I just persevered through it, and I knew that I I'm here for a reason, and I'm I'm good at what I do. I have a Pro Bowl. I'm I mean, and he just went right back to it, and I think he's going to be fine. Good for him. Yeah. So anyway, Lance Meadow, Paul Detito, Jeff Fiegel's with you here. Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Going over the ins and outs of the 21-20 win for the Giants over the Titans. Let's head back to the lines. Ralph is in Florida, and he joins us. What's happening, Ralph? Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, just excited. Great win. Um, Lance, this is for you, and Paulie Dots for you, too, because you guys always talk about these things that a lot of people don't cover. The hidden yardage in a game that makes a difference. I mean, that challenge by Brian Dable's staff, Mm -hmm. on that knee down mm -hmm. that brought the times back 10 yards, that's huge. A lot of people won't think about it being huge, but think about it. That was the reason that they didn't get, you know, they were all the way back there and they were able to stop them on 31 and get Richie James and get that 25-yard punt return, 22-yard punt return to start the drive. Like, if he doesn't, even if he gets that first down, you're thinking they, get it, they, they could uh, pin the Giants deep and put them under, in, in between the 10-yard line. You know what I'm saying? So that little that little challenge, a lot of people go, oh, that's nothing. It's aiming eight yards. Eight yards is huge, though, in games like this, you know? And second of all, like, I thought Dylan had a great game punting, except for, like, when, you know, Jeff, you, you always point those things out, and nobody knows the ball's supposed to go to the right. He kicked it to the left, things like that. You're like, okay, now you understand why the punt team didn't cover. 
but the booming kicks he was kicking, I mean, he pinned him. He was pinned him in the, under the twenty yard line, I think, three times. Mm-hmm. I think he had a big game, and you know, for all for all said and done, yeah, Grant, you're right about Daniel Jones. That the last drive, he really didn't make. He made a great throw on second down to Richie James to get get ten yards. I mean, he made the crucial run to to on fourth down to keep the drive going. So again, even though he didn't make throw the ball. And, and he made the better deception to stay in the game, to keep his head in the game. After all he's been through, all the criticism he gets and everything, and he knew the spotlight was going to be on, on, that, on that after that interception, he kept his head in the game and drove his team down and made a great ball fake on that second down and throw the touchdown. I mean, let, let's give some credit where his credit is due, too, with, with Daniel Jones. He made he was what he only missed four passes, and the Richie James pass, should have been caught on the third down. That was a hell of a throw, I thought, under pressure. Mm-hmm. Threw it right there, Richard James. And Richard James yeah, he rolled it. around and lost the ball. Yeah, and, I mean, but he threw a great throw. I thought he thought he made a great throw on that It play. was, sure. In coverage, and I mean, let's give the kid credit. It's his first game under the new, I mean, preseason and all that, but this is the first game under the day ball and Kafka against a good defense, a second-ranked defense against the run. And a good, solid defense with an offensive line with a left guard. And Paul and, and Jeff, you guys always say it, one guy doesn't just do his job and the whole play's gone. That left guard position in the beginning of the game was getting destroyed. Azuda came back big, but he was getting destroyed. When Jeffrey Simmons blew by him for the, the, the strip sack, he got destroyed. Everybody else did their job, and one person could kill the whole, the whole game. And I just thought that they came together as a team, the offensive line got better down the stretch. And, you know, it's one game, and, yeah, of course, everybody's going to overreact. Let's see what we got in the next game. And if the next game, the offensive line gets better, and then it gets more comfortable, and more receivers get involved like Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony, You know, you never know. Again, this is football. Bounces got to go your way in, any, in, in, in football. You know that, and I know that. And it was just a great – it was great to see – them come out on the victory finally, and not always. Here we go again. We we did what we did. We took the lead, and yeah, we lost it at the end. And it was just a great game. I I I, I don't know what you guys think, but I just thought that 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 was my feeling of the game yesterday. Well, and that was the big difference. And appreciate the phone call, Ralph, because in previous games, when things would start to all of a sudden get out of hand and unravel, you didn't really see this team be able to bounce back and have a second half like they did and overcome the penalties and some of the offensive line hiccups and the turnovers. But they found a way. So that certainly is a huge turning point in comparison to how we've seen games finish in previous years. In terms of big-picture perspective, and, you know, the caller worded it, hey, it's just one game. And, yes, it is just one game. And it goes back to, Paul, what you brought up, Jeff, conversations we've had. Wink's going to have different schemes. Snap count's going to vary this season. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad the caller brought up Kadarius Toney if he gets more snaps. Well, Toney, he was brought up to Brian Dable in the postgame presser, and Dable said, listen, there were some packages Toney was a part of. We just didn't get to it in the game. So the point is... There's going to be games where Tony's going to play a lot more than he did yesterday. But then there's going to be other games where Richie James may be a focal point, like we saw a little bit yesterday. Expect it to fluctuate. And here's the other thing. Wondell Robinson hurt his knee yesterday. Brian Dable is going to speak to the media later today. But we don't know if he's going to be sidelined. Maybe now Tony goes into other packages because he's similar in skill set to Wondell Robinson or Sterling Shepard. 
I just feel, guys, there's going to be a lot of movable parts this season. More of a reason why. Don't think what one game shows is automatically going to be an indication of what comes down the line. Look, next week, for all we know, uh, Sills could be down and Slayton could be activated. Sure. Yeah. Or maybe Robinson can't make it and Slayton takes his spot. There are going to be so many scheme-specific, week-to-week plans that these coordinators are going to implement. And that's the beauty of not only their brilliance, but the beauty of this roster getting better, which allows them the flexibility to do that. Okay, let's not kid ourselves, Lance. I, I, I don't want to knock the previous couple of coaching staffs, but they were also hamstrung to some degree by the fact that the roster wasn't deep enough that they could even think about getting this fancy. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Come on, Jeff. You mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, there was times when we didn't even know who these guys were on the flip cart at points in time. Remember? We're like, well, also, at so many changes. Yeah, we're like, to that too. Uh, where yeah. did this guy come from? And when did he get on the card? Did he just, you know? Now, I, I just love the fact, though, that in game one of the season, with four-fifths of the offensive line rebuilt, they ran the ball nine times on a game-winning drive of 12 plays and 73 yards. They put the ball in the hands of Barkley and those offensive linemen and said, go up against that heavyweight Titans defense mm-hmm. and slug it to them. That just, to me, that just set a world, a world of trust in those guys. And it wasn't always pretty. In fact, a bunch of the blocks weren't pretty. Technically, I bet you Bobby Johnson's destroying that film today and saying, you know what? Technically, we got a lot of stuff to clean up, certainly in the pass protection. But what do they all have, Jeff? They have, po- they have power, <laughs> size, mm-hmm. and grit. And good. They have fight. I was talking to a scout today, independent NFL scout today. I said, did you see the game? He goes, yeah. I said, I got to talk to you about this offensive line. I mean, I, I, I'm just I'm bouncing off the walls. I'm so excited about what I saw yesterday because I know it wasn't perfect. I know it wasn't great, but look how effective they were, even though they're not even close to their potential. And he said, man, I haven't seen the Giants offensive line fight like that mm-hmm. since the days of Snee and Deal and Richie Soiber. Well, the other thing, too, is that we're not talking about a team that won two games last year. We're talking about a team that won 12 games. And it was, uh, you know, their defense, their front seven is as good as it gets, especially their 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 front four. I mean, my God, I mean, Landry wasn't even in there. They're still pretty darn good, right? This was a, a game that the Giants beat a, a very formidable opponent. And I think that's that goes that goes well. And I think that offensive line has a lot to build upon. We know that it's not perfect. It's never going to be. But and every every film breakdown is always looking at the negative. You know, the the coaches will try to point out as much positive as they can, but meetings are usually negative because they're trying to fix things, right? And reinforce things. Yeah. And so I think that when you're in those meetings, and by the way, if you do not have thick skin in the NFL, then you're gonna you're not gonna last. So that's my point with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is a big boy. He can handle it, okay? Um, and by the way, he plays one of the hardest positions in sports, and he's going to get criticism from his coach, you know, the staff, you know, and even the fans and everybody. So that's what makes a quarterback, the good ones, even more special is that they can handle criticism and then go and correct what they're getting criticized for on the sideline. 
comes with the territory. It has to do. Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, if if, if you got, if you're a quarterback that comes from college, you never got yelled at. You're gonna you're in, a, in for a rude awakening. And by the, <laughs> and by the way, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people, if you went up to Buffalo and said, hey, by the way, can you tell me what Brian Dable is? How is he on the sideline or how is he at practice? They're probably gonna say, oh, he's a great guy until he gets mad at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Of course. And sure enough, you saw it yesterday's game. I saw it at practice many times. I mean, I'm sure you did too. So. Unleash the fire. I, yeah. I'll say something that I said on, on, a, on a different show, and I'm, I'm going to mention it here this morning. I might as well. The Giants players have more give and take with this head coach than they've had since Tom Coughlin. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just that simple. Mm-hmm. They did not have as much of an open door give and take relationship with Shermer or Judge or McAdoo. And I'm not shooting arrows in those guys' backs. I'm simply saying it's philosophy. that this it's coach just, yeah. has a much better give-and-take, open-door relationship with his players. And you saw that because Jones didn't cower when Dable came over and asked him about that throw. It was there in front of the whole world to see. Dable went over, did what he had to do. Jones took it like a man, did what he had to do, and everybody moved on. There was no embarrassment. There was no showing a guy up. It's just we're doing business. Yeah. That's it. Well, I think if And you're, that's common too, by the way. Oh, After an interception, tons yeah. of guys, oh, even the, the veterans who have many oh. more years than wow. Daniel Jones have conversations with their OCs and head coaches oh, after my God. mistakes. Have you ever have you ever been on the sideline with uh, Michael Strahan before? I mean when <laughs> I mean when and I mean he wouldn't yell much at the coaches, but he would yell at his play at his at his teammates because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Right? And I think that you know, it just comes with the territory. It believe really does, it, guys. and it will happen. <laughs> yeah, believe it, it will happen. Well, that wasn't yelling, though, yeah, at a teammate. That was, that was, that was encouragement. Yeah. That was definitely encouragement, yeah. you know. But, uh, you know, it happens in the game. And, and I think that one thing that if you're a coach and you have guys out on the field, and this kind of goes back to the, what he was saying, Coach Dable was saying in the locker room when they presented him with the two game balls. He's like, you know, this is great, but I don't play the game. You know, so, I mean, don't give me a game ball. I appreciate that. But, you know, I don't play the game like you guys. I don't get hit. I don't do all that kind of stuff. If you're a coach and you're listening to your players who are in the game, by the way, they're closest to the ball. They're closest to the action. Why wouldn't you listen to those guys when they come to you and say, hey, coach, what about this? Or, hey, coach, what about that? Unless you're an idiot and you just say, you know what, I'm. It's, this is the way I'm going to do it. Um, but that just goes to show you that's good coaching if you have an open door policy, it, both in the game and outside the game. Because there's a lot of things that go on in this building when you have 53 guys and a 16 man or whatever it is, practice squad. You got a lot of guys, a lot of humans, if you will, that have different tight takes on the game and different philosophies on how you're going to do things. Not every player agrees with, a, with the coach 100%. We call it coach talk, right? Uh, it's just coach talk. Um, and in one ear and out the other, but it can't always be that way. You got to listen to some of the coaches because by the way, they're probably studying tape way more than you are. And they understand your opponent a little bit better than you do too. Most of the time. The other thing to me that stands out about Dable, and this is why every coach is different philosophy and how they go about their business. Dable is very forthcoming to Paul's point about the give and take with his players. He lets the media know about some of those conversations. There are other coaches that they have open door policies. They just don't reveal that to the world. So I I think what makes Dable different is he reveals it. 
Dable doesn't hide it. He tells you, I went over on the sideline. I had this conversation with these guys. I asked them how they feel. Other coaches have those conversations, but they feel it's not anybody else's business to let you know what they're talking about, whether it be behind closed doors or on the sidelines. So I think Dable's just confident. He's very open in terms of his give and take. Other guys just may not give that aura off. That's the way that I view it well, with I respect like it. to him. Yeah, that works. Sounds fair. Yeah. Let's reopen up the phone lines. Big is in New Jersey, and he joins us. What's happening, Big? Hey, what's going on? Hello, gentlemen. Hi. I just got, I just, um, got two questions, um, and I just take the answers off the air. I want to know, um, what was the snap count at left guard, um, and how did the cover coverage units do on kick and punt return? Because it was pretty bad in the uh, preseason. I think Bredesen had uh, seven series, and I think that Izudu might have had five. That's that's just from my recollection looking at yeah, the – Yeah, the final the, snap count, I published it this morning on my Twitter. I it, got it here. Bredesen played 32 snaps, and Izudu played 28. 53% to 47%. Correct. Yep. That do we was have the numbers on who allowed pressure? Do we have mm. – they, do they show the numbers on who allowed, like, pressures mm, no. and sacks at – no. no, okay. No, and that's okay. going to also be different in the eyes of the beholder. The I mean, PFF does a lot about that, but clearly everyone can look at it and give you a different perspective, too, mm -hmm. in fairness to that. So from the eyes of the beholder, on, in, in your eyes, who do you think had the better overall performance? Well, I think Azudu got stronger as the game went along. I, mean, I think I, that was okay, evident. I, Okay, I didn't get a chance to watch the game. I'm sorry, I was at work, so okay. I just wanted to, okay. Yeah, well, they, they, the had him on, they had him in there on the winning drive. Yeah, so. correct. And and again, Azudu had a key block on each of the big five Barkley plays. So so you can't ignore that. There's no doubt that Jeffrey Simmons is a beast. Okay, he's an animal. And, he's and he's especially an animal. in the first half, uh, in pass protection, he took Azudo to school. Okay, that, that you know that's just a fact. Yeah. It's a fact. You know what sounded good though, and you know what sounded good. You just said. Five Barkley big plays. That's what sounded good. That right there, you, right there, you won me over. Right there, five Barkley big plays. Yeah, the most it, important we, Barkley runs <laughs> of the game, and Azudu had a <laughs> hand in all of them. And you know, look, coming out of North Carolina, we all knew that he was a terrific athlete with size and power. He could move, and he would be a force in the run game. They knew that. That's why they took him in the third round, where he was a bit raw. Okay, and this is a fact, was a bit raw in pass protection. And you know what? He's a rookie. You're going to have to live with a little of that. The more he plays, the better he'll get. But until he gets to be a polished player, there are going to be some lapses. And Jeffrey Simmons had one of those on the strip sack. It, 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 was, it was brutal. But, but that's going to happen. He's a I mean, smart yeah, player. Jeffrey he played Simmons. multiple positions at UNC. But like any other young player, technique sometimes doesn't necessarily run equivalent to your book smarts. So now he's learning. Jeffrey Simmons is a lot different than some of the big boys in the ACC, and you have to adjust your technique. But I think it's encouraging, and appreciate the phone call, Big, that he, once again, got more and more comfortable once he was inconsistently in the lineup. To me, that's important because when we talk about Azudu playing multiple positions in North Carolina, and in fairness, there were some games where they would move him from position to position. So I'm not saying that he hasn't been exposed to change over the course of a game, but I think that's a curveball for any player who's now in his first NFL game where you're now telling him he's in this drive, he's out this drive, he's in this drive. It's one thing for veterans to do that. 
it's another thing for a young guy. And then yeah. start to write, build with Andrew Thomas and John Feliciano, who you also need to get used to. So I don't think it's stunning that it took him a little bit to then get his legs under him. But just because he got stronger over the course of this game, Carolina's going to create different challenges, Dallas the following week, and so forth. Sure. So he's going to have to ride that wave. To, to just correct myself, it was the four key Barkley runs. It was the two long ones, the touchdown, and the two-point conversion. Those were the four plays where Rizzuto absolutely had a block on each one of them. To finish the thought, though, Lance, the reason that I believe early in the game especially they were swapping out Bredesen and Rizzuto, number one, they knew Rizzuto was having trouble early with Simmons. Okay, and they did not want to let that kid go on the slide. So I think they were taking him out on a couple of series as they were flopping around. Let Bredesen get in there, get Joshua on the sideline, talk to him, calm down, catch your breath. We know what you did. Let's go over a couple of things here. Let Ben take the next series or two, watch from the sideline, see what the veteran's trying to do, see how he's trying to hold up. Then you get your shot to go back in. All right, and I think that was their way of keeping Joshua in the game, and not not allowing him to get too down on some of his early failures. I really think it was a, in this particular case. I think it was a smart strategic move because Bredesen, being a veteran, has a better chance to try to compete against a pass rushing Simmons. Yeah, but I, I you know I I think their whole intent was to, you know, one of you guys go in there and win the job. I mean, and Azuto will and, win the and job. By the way, they he will pre- win it. He will because he's a third round draft pick. He's gonna that that's that is your left guard. Okay, it's just a matter of time when he gets in there. And by the way, when I heard last week that they were having tryouts, basically all these guys were playing left guard. I mean, Garcia was even in there until he got snapped. Right? I mean, he was he was at least competing in practice. Right. That tells me that none of them are ready to start yet and be the starter. And so full time, uh, full time. And to me. Let's get in a game. And again, this goes on my whole theory in this whole year is all about evaluation and getting guys in the right spot. This was a big, this was number one right here because I think the offensive line is an area where this team had to concentrate the most upon because, by the way, the offense has a lot of first-round draft picks on this team. They've, this, the offense is, is, is put together way better than the defense at this juncture of this team when you think about it. So the offensive line is the first one. I just think it's like, hey, guys, listen, you two are going to go in there. I know you're the veteran, Bredesen, but I know you're the rookie. We drafted you. Someone's coming out of this game going to be playing and you're going to be a starter sooner or later. And that's where I think it is. But I also remember Jeffrey Simmons is no slouch. I think that he will beat up on a lot of even starters in this league anyway. Absolutely. 100%. (laughs) I mean, that guy is a look at the look at the stat line on that dude. It's an education (laughs) to play against a guy like that. And by the way, Lance and Jeff. You'll both feel better when I tell you this. Nick Gates is coming along real quickly. Good. And Good. after that first month or so, don't be surprised if all of a sudden he starts getting cleared for practice. And, oh, yeah, by the way, Shane Lemieux. Well, that's the not, other name. He's yeah. not on season-ending IR either. Sure. Yep. He'll be yep. back at some point right. probably mid-season or so. But, by the so way, this is a good guys, problem. You've got guys getting ready to come, yeah, it's come back at some point. a good problem to have because it's something that we haven't talked about for a long, long time is having some sort of depth on this offensive line. 
And competition, too. And competition. Yep, and to not necessarily feel as if a guy has a job locked up simply yeah. because there's nobody else that's going to push him. Now, I, I think the two bookends, I don't think anybody's really going to push those two guys. Those guys are locked in for a At long time. At 340 pounds apiece, good luck. <laughs> and also where they were drafted, yeah. too. I think. Yeah. Gives them I, some those security. guys are pretty much anchored over there. You know, they're not yeah. moving. <laughs> so, um, interesting. But I think that, you know, the whole As well as Glowinski, in fairness, too, at right Of guard, course, yeah. Too. And again, yeah. he's he's earned the right. He's a, he's a, he's a starter because... Because he's been, in, he's a veteran in this league, and he's proved that he can play at a level that, you know, he's not an All Pro, and he, I don't think he's ever made a Pro Bowl. But the fact is, he's one of those guys like a Richie Soybert who's very consistent. He's not going to get you in a lot of trouble. You know, he's not going to be the greatest of the of the five that are there. But you know, he's a guy you can rely on. That's the big thing. And relying on players in today's world is important um, because. You in this league, it's just a it, winning games is such a small margin sometimes. And when you got players you can rely on, it's it's important that you can you can trust those guys, and that, that's going to win you some football games. So a big win for the Giants, big rallying win. past the Titans, twenty-one twenty. Do you want to add something? No, I just said big okay. win. Yeah, on I the thought... road, on the road against a twelve and five team from last year. I mean, that's pretty darn big for if, as far as I'm concerned. So. By the way, it just goes to show you real quick how wild week one is in general in the National oh, yeah. Football League. Yeah. There were several teams that blew double-digit leads. Tennessee was one of many. And it just goes to show you it's very hard to get a read on a team in week number one. Four teams, Indianapolis 17-point deficit, New Orleans 16-point deficit, Giants 13, Chicago 10, all overcame those at least 10 points to win or tie in week number one. Is this where I spend a half hour talking about September football again? Well, no, I wasn't opening that door. I was just giving an example of it. No, it's more about providing perspective. It's more about why and not bet. overreacting to a win or a loss in week one, no matter yes. what side of the equation Overreaction you're on. Monday. We're That's on the same page. Correct. Yeah. That's the purpose of that statement and of yeah. that statistic. Well, the first month is really kind of like that, sure. right? I mean, it's no, a feeling absolutely. out process for everybody in the league for the first month. And, you know, if you go with that philosophy up there doing New England, they always talk about the first four weeks is basically the preseason, you know. so Got to um, see the first quarter of the season before right. I think you get a good read yeah. on teams. Agree. Brian Dable will speak to the media later today, so stay locked to Giants.com for the latest. The two key guys to keep close tabs on, Wandell Robinson left with a knee injury, and Nick McLeod, who we were talking about, a key special teamer, had a hamstring issue. So those are the two injuries coming out of week number one. We'll be up and running again tomorrow at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. A reminder that Big Blue Kickoff Live, today's episode, is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Jeff Eagles and Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. We will speak to you on Tuesday. Tuesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.